Media. Fueled by C4, Cellucor, and Extend. Use the code Clydesdale to get 20% off the checkout at C4Energy.com. On Clydesdale Media, where we bring you the widest array of content here on our YouTube channel. Make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Hit that notifier so you first know when new episodes are available. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Clydesdale Media Podcast, where we are featuring the athletes of the 2023 CrossFit semifinals. And not only that, we have the privilege of having none only than the professor himself, Brent Fikowski, with us. Brent, how you doing? Howdy. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. Welcome. I am real good. Um, So excited to have you on the show. Last time you were on, we talked about a lot of stuff, and uh, it was such a great conversation. I'm so glad that you decided to come back and join us a second time. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. I really enjoyed that last chat too. So, so I, I've got a lot of stuff and we'll probably bounce a lot around a lot. Um, but I want to start with some fun stuff. When we talked last year, it was right um, going into the games, I believe, last year. And you had spent the off season with busy family things and didn't get to compete or anything like that in last year's off season. This year, that changed a bit. You actually went to Wadapalooza competed as an individual and on a team winning the team division. Um, what was one, you guys were fun to watch. It just was the outfits. And I um, heard you the, were the one the, in charge of the outfits. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. That was my, you know, we, we wanted to to match to some extent. And so we kind of made sure we had some, you know, we did, we had different sponsors. So it was like, you know, just black shorts, red shirts, you know, plain shoes, whatever. And then um, I was like, oh, we should do something, whether it's like a headband or, you know, I don't know, like a toque, like something Canadian. And so, yeah, I was able to find the the sleeveless flannel shirts. And yeah, so that was, that was my, that was my doing. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so we, we had Jeff, Jeff on the show and he talked to, we asked him like, were those restrictive at all? And he said, surprisingly not. They were actually <laughs> yeah. pretty comfortable to wear on, on the competition floor. Yeah. Yeah. They were, you know, we had to be, we probably would have worn them a bit more. I think we only wore them twice. Um, but we just really wanted to make sure they weren't interfering with anything. So I think there was a workout or two where like, ah, oh, like that'd be, no, no, we can't wear them. So, uh, but yeah, we were able to wear them on two and in the workouts we chose, they were completely, completely fine. But yeah, we're, we're all fairly, you know, I'm, I'm probably more particular than some, but, uh, you know, we're pretty mindful that certain shirts definitely have a, uh, um, an advantage over others. And yeah, this, the, I think cutting off the sleeves, I mean, let's, lets you breathe, right. It just kind of frees right. up that shoulder motion, you know? Yeah. And uh, Kenneth says, start growing matching mustaches for next year. Oh, man, that would be that would be next level. Uh, something to consider for sure. <laughs> so I'm curious, would you ever do that again? Would you ever compete as an individual and as a team again like that in a weekend? I don't know. It was a lot. Um, I think everyone that did it was kind of like, oh, it was, it was fine, you know. Um, but yeah, it was a lot. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would do both again or or I might like do the individual and what kind of happened was by the time the team rolled around a lot of teams were changing faces because of people you know with a little injury here or there and so maybe I do individual and just kind of leave it as an option like oh maybe I'll sub in on a team if they're looking you know like they need a good player and you know they have a good team and I'm feeling good and kind of leave it up to chance because you know if those workouts let's say it was two days and two days again 
the, uh, if the workouts on the first two days are really, really taxing, I just might not have the juice to, to do the next two days without, you know, sustaining an injury. So for sure, you, you've been an individual athlete your whole career. What was yep. it like being on a team? It was that your first foray into that or no, I mean my first year in CrossFit, I, w- I went to a lot of like, uh, you know, kind of intermediate competitions when I lived in Australia and did a lot of team events there. Uh, so I probably did more team events than individual my first kind of year of competing. And then I did the CrossFit Invitational. I went to Wadapalooza on a team twice. I won it in 20, I think it was 16 or 17 um, with two with two Canadians, uh, Mitch Barnard and uh, ADL from uh, Montreal. So not, not completely inexperienced on the team. It's definitely different. I think uh, – what I described, at least in my experience, was when I'm warming up for the teams, I'm a lot more nervous. Uh, like, I don't want to let the guys down. And you're like, there's a lot more kind of strategy going into it. Okay, how are we going to break this up? If that doesn't work, what are we going to do? But then once you're out there, it's a lot more fun. Uh, like, the actual act of competing on a team on the floor, I found a lot more enjoyable and a little less stressful. Uh, individuals, I kind of feel the other way around. When I'm warming up, I'm like keeping myself calm. I feel very in control. I know what I have to do. I've got a plan for everything. I know how my body's feeling and what I'm going to do. And then when you're out there as an individual, I'm not like stressed, but it's very hectic. It's a lot more painful usually. And it's, uh, things are happening very fast and the stakes seem kind of higher. And, uh, you know, you're trying to like get taken all this information as an individual, kind of like the, the Terminator mask and you're okay. You know, who am I racing? How am I going to beat them? How's my body feeling? What's my judge saying? Okay, what was my strategy? You know, all those sorts of things. It seems to move a lot faster and um, frenetically. Fren- frenetically. Frenetically. <laughs> Wait a second. I'm thinking of the Philly frenet- frenetic or something. <laughs> really, yeah, I was watching Sunny in Philadelphia, so I'm all I'm all looped up. But yeah, so that that's how I, that that was the difference that I personally felt. I love the analogy with a Terminator mask. That makes. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Like you're taking in all this information and trying to process it in a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, and that's probably more so the case in, you know, a sport with like offense and defense. Uh, but in CrossFit in some workouts, some events, there's definitely that going on where you're trying to make split second decisions. And maybe you see something out of the corner of your eye, if it's like a new implement and, you know, you see someone do something, you're like, Oh, I need to try that. Cause that looks more efficient. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and often I'll be listening to my judge while simultaneously listening to the judges to my left and my right to hear their rep counts. Um, So, yeah, lots going on. So speaking of processing information, we we all know that you are very analytical when it comes to workouts. And we're following Emily Rolfe through the season this year. And through that, we've asked her questions as she says that she's talked to you through like quarterfinals and stuff like that. And that you are very analytical in your advice to her, like at this, at this minute and second, I was at this point and, you know, and, uh, are you doing that on the floor of a competition? Are you looking for the clock to see, am I on pace or do you go by feel once you hit the competition floor? Um, from my experience competing in live competitions, I rarely, if ever, look at the clock, um, at least not frequently, because you just can't rely on it being in your line of sight, like in a convenient location. So there's going to be certain events, certain workouts, you know, whether you're at Waterpalooza or wherever you are, Dubai, um, where you just might not be able to see a clock. There just might not be a clock. And, um, you know, I like wearing a watch, but 
sometimes you can't wear, you know, if you're doing like kettlebell snatches, you can't wear a watch. So in quarterfinals, the open online competitions, I definitely use the clock or I have someone like shouting splits or something like that. You know, you're five seconds ahead of pace if I have a pace plan. Uh, on the competition floor, it's a little more fluid, but I'll still have, you know, general ideas of like, you know, pacing strategies. And so, you know, if I'm rowing, I know exactly how long the rower should take because the screen's right there in my face. And then if I'm doing, let's say, you know, chest to bars, it's like, okay, you're going to break it down into these sets and your breaks are going to be either short, really short, medium or long, you know? And so you kind of have those and that might be timed probably less likely timed by the clock and more likely timed by intuition um, or maybe breaths. You might count your, you know, do three slow breaths or something and that'll be your break and three slow breaths is going to be, you know, six seconds or something. So. Yeah. My guess is my slow breaths are way slower than yours. <laughs> well, in a work, not yet maybe, but in a, in a workout, you know, slow breaths aren't, aren't so slow. Uh, so Yeah, that's yeah. true. So one, one more follow-up with the thing with Emily is we were, she gets advice sometimes from you and Pat. And we asked her like, what's the difference between the two? And, uh, and she said, well, with Brent, it's, it's very, very numbers driven. It is like, I held this pace on, on the row. I was at this place for transition. I gave myself six seconds for that transition. And when it's Pat, it's just, uh, go faster. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and that's sort of true. But you know, when I have long chats with Pat, um, he's, uh, it, it's more it, it, like, it's definitely less numbers based, but he still gets to the same place as me in most workouts. Um, like, you know, he would still give more or less the same advice, but it would be, well, you know, hold a, a threshold pace on the rower. And then, you know, transition really fast. And for me, like, I just watch a lot of my own footage and training. And so I start to see, you know, you don't know what you're looking for at first when you're watching your, your own film. Um, you know, in other sports, they say like, Oh, I, I gotta go watch the game tape. They say that all the time. If you're watching football or basketball, you know, gotta go watch game film. And so with CrossFit, you know, I do that as well. Um, if with my training and with my competing and at first you do that and you don't really even know what you're looking for, but then over time, you know, you might have a, a little clock next to your stopwatch, whatever. And you start to see those trends. You're like, huh? Like, you know, a fast transition is usually like three to five seconds you know, a slow transition or, or a long break, you know, let's say in a between sets of chest bar, like a fast break is three to five seconds. A long break is when it gets to like six to 10 or 12. So like Pat will say, oh, I took a short break. And to me, I'm like, oh, I know that's four seconds. Right. And I just kind of know that or I'll watch and I'm like, sure enough, there's four seconds. And so we'll come to the same conclusions. And, you know, I'm just a little more like numbers and analytical driven, whereas Pat is more like sensations. Uh, yeah, you know, he's I like, oh, I decided... It. Yeah, I decided to to take, but even before the workout, he's like, oh, you know, I'll do my wall balls, but if I feel like my shoulders are blowing up, I'll, I'll take some short breaks to ensure that my shoulders feel fresh for the handstand walks, where I might say, oh, I'm going to break it up, probably something like 20, 10, 10, 10 with short breaks to minute, you know, but we'll end up doing about the same reps. I might switch it on the fly. If it's feeling good, I might go, you know, 30, 10, 10 instead, you know, one less break. Um, we kind of come... Pat and I, like, assuming we have the same skill level in, in the same workout, we'll probably get to the same place. Uh, you know, we just kind of leverage different um, different characteristics, you know, and I've learned, I've tried to do it the other way, and it doesn't work for me because that's not my personality type. And I'm sure it's the same for certain athletes if, if they're more, um, 
yeah, they're less analytical than me, like trying to do it my way and pushing themselves into that mold. Something to consider, you know, if and when I ever coach an athlete, if they're not wired like me, I need to find a way to speak to them to get them to the same conclusion, which is like pace the workout appropriately. Don't do stupid things, you know, go as fast as you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think her, what she was, she was doing it to be funny. And then yeah, she yeah. kind of <laughs> explained it as that, um, that, that Pat is a very natural athlete mm. and that maybe you and her had to work at it a little bit more to get there. So in his head, it's just do it where in your two heads, it's more, this is what we need to get there because we had to work harder to get to that point. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think Pat's worked real hard too though. So yeah. <laughs> it's just different. Yeah. I think it's just yeah. leveraging different, uh, personality types to get you to, you know, the same conclusion, which is, you know, go right. as fast as you can in a workout. Yeah. Yeah. In my mind, I'm guessing that Pat is doing all the, that analytical stuff. He's just not articulating it in the same way that, that you may be. I think so. Yeah. I think in, in a different way. And, and Pat, you know, Pat is like, you know, really well-spoken guy, you know, super sure. intelligent, you know, educated, all those things. And like, we'll have talks about, you know, name a thing and, you know, he's, he's got like nuanced opinions and stuff. And so I think, um, yeah, he's like maybe a little less numbers driven than me, but uh, definitely, definitely, I wouldn't categorize Pat if there was a category of like analytical, thoughtful CrossFitters and CrossFitters that just send it. I definitely still put Pat in the uh, in the analytical category, and there's CrossFitters that are very successful in the just send it category too. But. So you mentioned about videoing and reviewing your own videos, and I think that's such um, an important part, especially when you're working out a lot you know, by yourself. So like you're essentially having to video that so you can coach yourself as well. Do you send that off to get additional coaching besides yourself? Yeah. Uh, so my coach, David Spur, he lives in okay. Winnipeg, which, you know, for those uh, that don't know, that's very far away in Canada terms. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, like we'll, we'll see each other in person a couple times a year, but I mean, I don't really like overwhelm him with <laughs> all the videos <laughs> I take because that would just be a lot of his time. And I, the thing I recommend to most people is like, hey, no matter how good your coach is or how much time they have, like you need to take it on yourself to uh, to figure these things out. Um, and I feel the same way, you know, because I'm the one who's living it. Uh, but I, I do still send like pieces of them or if there's, you know, a workout that's of particular importance. So I'm like, Hey, here's the full workout, you know, watch it or whatever if you want to. But usually it's more just like, Hey, you know, I did a, an EMOM yesterday and I'll like send the first and last set of, you know, bar muscle ups, um, you know, cause we're working on some technical things there. So it's like, Hey, this is what they look like when I was fresh. This is what they look like in the last set. And like, you know, I think, you know, this is what I need to improve on and, you know, maybe there's some tips and tricks, but yeah. So I, I watched your um, podcast with training think tank. Yeah. Um, and it was really, really good. Really well. I uh, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed yeah, it a lot. And um, and one thing I wanted to to kind of dive into a little bit is when you were coming up th through the sport, um, you had those that year that 14, 15 year um where you just missed the games. Yeah. And you actually said in that podcast that you contemplated quitting after the 15 season. Now that could have been a five second thought. It could have been a two day thought, maybe even longer. I don't know. Um, but do you think that you had to have that moment um, to flip a switch into something different to have the success you had following that, that moment? 
Um, so it was, I mean, that thought was, you know, a couple weeks sort of. And uh, I don't think that type of conversation is ne necessary to facilitate, you know, like high performance. Um, I think given the situation I'd put myself in, which was putting like an extreme amount of pressure on myself, not enjoying the training, um, just, just putting so much pressure on myself that I needed to have a, have a shift and have a change where, you know, I was starting to enjoy the training again and do it for, you know, the love of it. And, and basically, you know, the big kind of key banner, uh, slogan for that year was surrender the outcome. It's like, Hey, you have to be willing to put in another really hard year of work and, you know, keep doing this, all these little sacrifices and this dedication and just be okay with going back to regionals and not qualifying, you know, like that's a very realistic possibility because it just happened two years in a row where you did everything you felt you could and it still wasn't enough. And you have to know that that's still possible that you could, again, do everything right, do everything you think you need to do and you still come up short. And I know that's a possibility this year too. Um, so like for me, I think that was just an important reframing of priorities. Uh, and then it, you know, it worked out for me but it's kind of like you know you hear the story of like the beatles and there's some manager that says oh you guys suck you'll never make it and they're like see we told you uh we made it and we're the best band ever but there's also a lot of stories of bands who were told by managers you're never going to make it and the manager was right and they never made it so <laughs> it's kind of like right. just because you had like failure at a competition and you almost consider quitting and then you say you know what this year i'm going to put in more work it doesn't mean you're going to succeed. <laughs> so for those of you watching, enjoy the process, right? You have to enjoy the training. And, you know, there's only so many people that get a gold medal. There's only so many people that get the invite to the next stage of the season if we're talking CrossFit. Um, so, you know, so you have to enjoy the training and enjoy that process. And that has to be as important or more important than some, like, you know, finish line expectation. So what I want to lead this into is, we talk to a lot of athletes who beat themselves up over a weekend and say, you know what? I, I missed this and I missed that. And, and I, and I've said to a few of them, like I grew up as a swimmer and in my life, I may have swam two perfect races yeah. in, in my life. And how can you expect a weekend to go perfectly when you're doing 37 different movements over all of these events, right? But then on Training Think Tank, you talked about 2016 regionals being maybe your perfect race. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that was the the perfect moment in your career? Yeah, I don't know about the perfect moment, but you know, I think I had enough experience as an athlete at that point where I was, uh, let's see, 2016, how old? I would have been 25 years old at that point, where I just knew when the weekend finished that it was just like a very special you know, like, I guess in the John Wooden sense, like competitive greatness kind of moment where I was like, oh, wow, I just, I executed very well this weekend. Like as far as what my potential was relative to those tests, I mean, I just nailed it. Um, I would say to those people you're talking to, you know, in, I think too often people will finish a competition and they'll look at the leaderboard and they'll go, oh, you know, I finished, let's say sixth. And, you know, I missed that one. Uh, I got that no rep on those two wall balls and I did, you know, I mispaced this and like, you know, they made all these little mistakes and they start like looking at the leaderboard shifting to like, oh, wow, if I would have done all those things right instead of sixth, I would have been fourth. You have to understand that people in fifth, fourth, third, second, first, they also probably made the same amount of mistakes, maybe more. 
<laughs> and so it's like if you get to go in your time machine and theoretically change a mistake, then you they also get the time machine. And then you're probably still going to end up at six, you know, because everyone will just keep fixing an error and gaining three more points into, you know, um, infinity. So, you know, usually where you end up in a competition is more or less where you belong. Um, and if you were just fitter, you would have just placed higher you know, given the same amount of mistakes. I mean, you obviously still want, it doesn't mean you should stop trying to make, you know, mistakes. And there's, I, but I think there's a difference between like a, an error of like preparation and just a, you know, an error on the field where you like, oh, you know, I kind of, I pushed a little too hard here and then I blew up or, oh, I just didn't quite pace it. And then I pushed hard at the end and like those little things, or I got a couple no reps. Um, th those things just happen, right? I mean, everyone's going to have those. Tia Claire Toomey, she's had those, right? Like, mm -hmm. and she still won the games because she's better. Um, but yeah, and then I think in, you know, kind of the context of your question with 2016, for me, that was just, uh, yeah, it was just kind of like a really, part of that too is I think we had a, at least a week, maybe three weeks with those workouts. So I went through the workouts and I just had a lot of time to uh, um, like mentally visualize those workouts, like a lot of times. And so I just really knew what I needed to do. So that's something I'll have two weeks with these workouts for uh, semis this year. And so it's something I want to try to prioritize is, you know, getting in the float tank and, uh, you know, meditating and like really just like going through the workout over and over again, exactly how I want it to go to try to at least get as close to my potential. It doesn't mean I'm going to win every workout or win the semis, but hopefully closer to my potential and get close to that 2016 feeling again. Mm. Ori says, nobody else can use my time machine, Brent. I'm selfish with my DeLorean. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> so how have your, how have your weaknesses changed over time and have some of those previous weaknesses become strengths of yours now? It's a good question. Um, most of my weaknesses I started with are still my weaknesses. I actually used to not be good at rope climbs. Um, my pinch was really inefficient. Uh, I couldn't do like legless really to save my life. Um, like when the legless showed up at the 2014 regionals, I was really afraid of that and ended up getting a decent score. But those, have, I wouldn't say legless are a strength of mine, but I wouldn't call them a weakness. And then my rope climbs with a pinch are probably one of my best movements now. Um, but you know, when I started strict handstand pushups, heavy deadlifts, heavy front squats were a weakness and they still are, you know, relative and it's all, it's all relative to the field. You know, I mean, when I first started, my goal was to deadlift 365, 365 pounds. And now, you know, at the games, I think I deadlifted 505 in 2018. So like that's went up, but relative to the field, it's still not a, you know, top, let's say 10 or 20 deadlift, even at the, at the CrossFit games probably. So you know, that's, I think some of those weaknesses have more or less stayed the same. Um, and I think as I've trained longer, you know, been doing this for so long, I've spent so much time on those weaknesses. Sometimes things that used to be strengths, you don't focus on because you're like, hey, I need to get better at these things. And then those start to, you know, there've been times where, for example, my, my double unders got a little worse. Like when I started, that was a huge strength of mine used to warm up with those for volleyball. So, you know, I started CrossFit and they're like, oh, double unders are like a thing, right? And I could do, I think, 300 unbroken and 30 triple, 35 triple unders unbroken, like walking into the gym. Yeah. So <laughs> now, you know, I think we did a 10 minute AMRAP of double unders and I got, uh, I don't even know, like 900 or something, just, just would trip, restart, trip, restart every, you know, minute or so. Mm -hmm. um, but there have been times because I have been very good at those things that 
you know, I got a little worse and then I'm like, Oh, come on, Brent, you got to shore those up again and, you know, get them back to where they were. So that's probably more the story of, of my uh, training as opposed to my weaknesses are still my weaknesses, not as much and hopefully not as much to keep me out of like high finishing at competitions, but it's more like the things that came in that were really, I really excelled at like the double unders um, at times have decreased in, uh, you know, how, how good they are relative to the best. Sure. Well, and when your focus changes, right? Like if you're working yeah. on a new skill, then you're something else has to, to give a little bit. So that, that makes Absolutely. Sense. Yeah. You all right there, Scott? Sorry, my, my <laughs> earbud went out. I had to break, I had to reset it. <laughs> I was like, I'm only weird. let me check. I think I'm only getting you in my right ear right now. Oh. Can you hear yeah. us? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. How about now? Wrong with yeah. So at first I thought I was just getting Amy in this one. It was like a right left kind of oh. stereo action. And then Scott was talking and I'm like, no, it's just my right. So I don't know. I'll just make sure my, my wife only talks to me in my left ear tonight and then uh, I'll kind of balance it out and I don't get tinnitus or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both, both of mine went out completely. So I just saw okay. lips and yeah. I am not good at reading lips. Yeah. But, Everything um, I said was one great, of, so. yeah. <laughs> One of our listeners um, jumped in and said that they loved what you're saying about visualization. Um, and it's something that they've been trying to do themselves as a, as a master's athlete. And so you said you go into a flow tank. Is it, is it a special thing that you go into or is it just your, your saying of whatever it is? Oh, a float F L O A T float, like a sensory yeah. deprivation tank with the, the Epsom salts and stuff. You can do it anywhere. Right. I mean, for me, that's just, you know, I'm, I'm a busy guy and I just find myself getting distracted. And so that's like an opportunity when I'm in there, it's like, all right, all you can do here is either think or sleep. And that's, that's, those are the only two options. There's no noise. There's no, you know, you don't sense anything. That's the whole point, right? It's the same temperature and you're just floating there. So, um, but yeah, even just, uh, you know, we used to do it in swimming when I was young, where we would lie on the, on the pool deck and coach would kind of like, guide us through a visualization, um, just kind of like calm us down and then, you know, okay, pick your race. And, um, you know, he would even start a clock and we'd try to see how close we could get to our, the, our goal swimming time. And, you know, you'd end up getting pretty close over time because you knew how many strokes it took and like, Oh, you know, I want to swim a hundred fly in a one Oh five or something. And sure enough, you'd look up at the clock, it'd be like one Oh six. And so you get pretty close. Um, so yeah, I would just say like for most people probably just, I mean, there's, I'm sure a million YouTube videos, but um, probably just start with a movement, you know, just like visualize yourself doing, you know, touch and go power snatches or ring muscle ups and how you want them to look. And that can either be first person or third person. So either through your eyes or like a video game, like watching from a distance, um, either of those, you know, whatever works for you. Uh, and then, yeah, you can just kind of slowly progress that out into, uh, you know, full, full workouts and, you know, you can do it before a workout or after a workout or, um, yeah, it's just like, just something to practice. I'm no expert on it, but yeah. yeah. So back to like your weaknesses and what you've done. One of the things that really fascinated me on the TTT podcast was you said that you have taken, I think you said three steps back on your muscle ups so that you can get one step better overall. Um, because you just couldn't keep doing them the way you were and, and be efficient enough to be competitive. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, 
you know, I think that's the big fear when people that people have with changing technique, like even as something as simple as a burpee, you know, I'll watch someone who's pretty competitive, you know, do a burpee that I'm like, oh, it's kind of sloppy, like you're kind of bleeding energy or just any, any movement. And oh, that's how I do them. And I have a competition in two months. So like, or a month or name a name a period of time, it doesn't really matter what it is. Like, I can't change them now. You know, this is how I do them. And it's like, no, there's like really no, there's no such thing as too early or too late. Um, it's like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Mm-hmm. And with, you know, changing technique, I, you know, I've, I've helped people like, this isn't about me helping people, but like I've helped games, athletes and semi-final athletes, you know, I've given them a cue in a session that has been like, oh, wow, that really helped. Like, let's say rope climbs with a pinch is something I'm pretty good at coaching or, um, you know, wall balls. Like, it's like, oh, like just something like foot position or hand position or, you know, thinking about driving through your feet instead of your arms or whatever it is, um, you know, you can make like pretty big changes pretty quickly. Um, it doesn't have it. Oh, it's not. It's going to take me months and months for that to, you know, change. It's like, well, no, with a rope climb, you know, if you ever work out with 10 rope climbs, like I can give you a cue right now that'll probably make the first three a little easier. And then as you get tired, yeah, you're going to fall back into your old habits, maybe for those last seven, but you did the first three a little faster and with a little less energy. Um, just with one or two cues. And so with the ring muscle ups for me, you know, among a hundred other movements, uh, just constantly trying to make them better, right? Just um, watching videos of athletes that are beating me, quite frankly, in muscle up workouts and trying to figure out, well, what are they doing differently than me? And so watching their videos, watching my videos. um, And that's really what's been the difference. You know, I've reached out to, you name a coach with, you know, gymnastics coach, and that's helped. Um, it's not like a slight against anyone who's tried to help me ring muscles, but really it's just come down to me watching videos and my coach, David Spur, who is not a ring muscle up expert, but we just watched video after video of people that are doing well in ring muscle up workouts, whether that's, you know, Christy Aramo O'Connell, Patrick Bellner, um, you know, Logan Collins, uh, Zeke Grove, even, you know, Tia Claire Toomey's up there too. And just like seeing what they're doing and just trying to emulate that, watching my videos, like and slowing it down, slowing them both down side by side. And it's like those, you know, puzzles in the back of the Archie comic. Like, can you spot the six differences between these two photos? And you're just like freeze framing and you're going, oh, like, you know, their feet are here. Their hips are here. Why are their shoulders there? And mine are not. Go up and do another set of three and see if you can figure that out. And you just keep doing it until you figure it out. And then you try to hold on to those new cues and, you know, keep notes so that the next time you come back to that skill, whether it's a day or a week or a month later, you pull up the notes, you can, oh, okay, the last time I did ring muscle ups, I was focusing on catching higher, you know, relaxing through the turnover, letting the feet swing through, driving the knees to the chest instead of my feet to my butt or whatever the cue might be. Um, and then just doing that for every single movement every day. <laughs> yeah. It's easy. It's easy. So, so there are, there is short-term sacrifice in that in that thought process oh, yeah. for long-term gain. And do you think there, what percentage of athletes do you think are willing to, to make that short-term sacrifice for that? Yeah. That, I mean, really that's what it comes down to. I don't, I can't really say I don't train with enough athletes to really know. And I'm not sure if they're even realizing that there's a, that that's an option or that they're intentionally making that trade off might be the better way to put it. Um, but so for example, you know, let's say the workout is, I don't know, 400 meter run, 10 snatches at 135, 10 burpees uh, for three rounds. Just like that sounds like a CrossFit workout, right? 
And so I think there's kind of two ways to do that. One is just to, to go as hard as you can, try to get a great score. And, you know, maybe your runs are pretty fast. You snatch is touch and go and you do your burpees fast. Like, sweet, made some progress. Um, you know, you finish your heart rates at, I don't know, 200 beats per minute. You went really hard and you're like, man, I got fitter. You know, I got a little better at barbell cycling, got a little better at burpees, running, all those things. Check the boxes. In my opinion, it's like, you know, maybe instead of finishing at a 10 out of 10 exhaustion and 200 beats per minute, maybe you're finishing at like a 9 out of 10 exhaustion and 185 beats per minute heart rate. So, you know, you went a little slower. So your time like maybe wasn't as good, but, you know, you were focusing on some very specific technical things in all three of those movements. I think you got better doing it a little slower. Like that's my personal opinion. And there's a time and a place to empty the tank and go as hard as you can. And I think you can be, you know, if you have the ability in your programming, you can kind of pick and choose like, oh, I know these movements I'm really competent in. So I'm going to drop the hammer and go really hard with these five or 10 or 20 movements that I'm like technically really competent in. But then in the movements that you're like still trying to tweak and change, it's like a bit of the concession where you go, hey, you know, I'm going to make a trade off in this in this wad or this workout or this EMOM where maybe I'm going a little slower. I'm doing a fewer reps or um, whatever that looks like in the context of that workout. I'm going to get a worse score on the leaderboard if I'm posting it at my gym or I'm posting it on like a, you know, training blog or sending it to my coach. It's like, hey, I'm going to go a little bit slower not that much slower i think you know the concession there is like instead of finishing that workout in nine minutes you're probably going to finish it in nine minutes 30 seconds which in the context of like gaining physiological fitness isn't really going to change anything but if your 30 snatches and 30 burpees were technically way better you're just putting more deposits i think this was something i talked about on the training think tank podcast is like you're just putting more deposits in the bank on like the good technical side as opposed to the bad technical side. And over time, if all your deposits are in that good bank, then when you get really tired of the competition and you do want to drop the hammer, that's how your body's going to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and that more or less, like when you watch people winning the games and winning semis and doing really well, guess what? You know, they're moving really well. And there's only one way that happens, and that's to move well all the time. You know, it's not something that just magically happens one day. Oh, one day my snatch is going to look great. It's like, no, you have to drop a few pounds off the bar. Instead of like maxing out, you have to stay below 80% or 70 or 60 or 50%. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, Jamie Latimer just says you'll play how you practice and that's that's it, right? I mean, you know, same with swimming, right? I mean, I don't, it's not like in swimming, coach would be like, okay, well, you know, and we're going to do some, some sprint pieces and throw all the technique we've been working on out the window and just thrash around. Like, no, you know, you go as fast as you can while holding the technique because the only way you're going to be successful in swimming is with good body position and good mechanics. And I feel like with CrossFit, um, you know, if your goal for success is long-term and like high-level success, you know, you need to be efficient in your movement. And that's, at least that's what's worked for me. Um, And I think if you look at, again, the people that are consistently doing well, like like Rich Froning or Matt Frazier, like those guys move pretty well. Right. Tia moves pretty well. There's not a lot of movements where you're like, oh, that doesn't look so good. So. So Corey Leonard says, as a master's athlete, I feel like what he's saying right now is on a spiritual level. It's training versus competing. I train 90% of the time and I compete the other 10 has helped me a ton. Yeah. And you can do more work too. And I mean, I, I'm not someone who like believes in like, oh, you got to get in more volume, like volumes, you know, a knob on your stereo system. Right. But, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of things you need to practice in CrossFit. It's something that like needs to be considered. It's like, if you just want to get practice at all of these things, there's quite a lot of time that needs to be spent in the gym. And the tough thing is a lot of these movements are like exclusive. They're exclusively high power movements. You know, there's no way to make a ring muscle up like zone two, (laughs) you know, or like, or like, you know, cyclical. It's like, man, ring muscle ups and like 40 inch box jumps and, like some of these things are just high power movements. And so you need to find a way to kind of keep them as, as the least damaging as possible to allow you to train again in the afternoon or the next day. Um, and so to get through all of that, you know, the intensity sometimes needs to come down a little bit, uh, to practice all those movements. And then, you know, going hard, like, uh, the master's athlete just said, you know, 10% of the time is, uh, is plenty. Mm. So I want to, I want to address one more thing and then I want to get into like some game stuff, um, like philosophical. And that is traditionally, you've never been a great online competitor. Yep. (laughs) You may believe that or not, but, but this year in quarterfinals, you made a significant leap from where you have been in the past. Can you attribute it to some of this work you've been doing over the past few years on efficiencies of movement? Or do you think it was just, you got lucky with the movements that were picked this year. Yeah. You know, I, um, when it comes to online competitions, like I'm super aware that, you know, if you just look on paper, statistically speaking, I'm not doing as well in online competitions as in-person competitions. You know, there's, it's just, it's just a undeniable fact. It's no different than, yeah, it's just, it's just the way that it is. And I, you know, trust me, I've tried to figure out like the, the reason behind that. And, I, I guess I have to believe this, but I think it's more everyone else and not me. Uh, <laughs> Cause like I, I push just as hard in online competitions as I do in person. And I prepare just as well most of the time. And, you know, in some situations, obviously there's some like the open the last two years, I haven't peaked for it in the same way physically. Once I did the workouts, I was doing them the best I could in those moments for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but I wasn't like, you know, changing my training and altering my training in a massive way to, to, to be at my absolute best for those workouts. But I don't think a lot of people were. Um, anyway, I think this year is really a lot of it comes down to other athletes um, and the, the workouts, right? And I think if you look at the types of movements and the duration of workouts that are typically at online competitions, you know, you're going to have more movements that are kind of i call it phone booth fitness where you can kind of do it all in a phone booth and you're just sort of vibrating up and down and that's just not as good for me being a taller athlete and then the workouts are often just shorter in duration so those are kind of two things that play a big part and then i'd say just movement quality like i don't get a lot of no reps um, online or in person and you know like i can't speak to every situation but i you know there are people that I've competed against and, you know, they're starting to get no reps and I start to gain ground on them. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Like, I wonder what your reps look like in the open or in the quarters, you know? Um, and I, I just, I think I just, uh, perform well under pressure as well. And I think there's something to be said about, I perform, I think as well in my gym as I do on the floor, maybe even better on the floor a little bit. And I think some people definitely can allow the pressure of the moment in an on, in a, in a real competition, let's say it's semis to get to them. And, oh man, I, I had my strategy and I got out there and I panicked, 
Like I've heard that from really good athletes. I just, you know, everyone was going touch and go. I was going to do singles. I said, screw it. And I went touch and go. And then the whole thing exploded and I went mm -hmm. two minutes slower than practice. And I was like, eh, I just went singles. Like I didn't really care about everyone going touch and go. Like that's just how I kind of operate. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited about my finish in quarterfinals. Like, um, but in the same token, if I had a mediocre finish in quarters, I wouldn't have given it much consideration. <laughs> so I think it can be a mistake to, uh, <laughs> there's definitely a temptation on my side. If I do well in an online event, I go, hell yeah, I'm so fit right now. Like I'm crushing <laughs> yeah. it. And then if I do poorly, I'm like, everyone's cheating. Everyone's stupid. <laughs> online competitions are stupid. Screw this. I'm just excited to get the semi. So I have to understand that I can't really have both. Um, and so I'm going to mostly stick on the side of, hey, the purpose of these online events, it's like preseason, right? Yeah, it's to, to get, get you to the next thing, to the thing, the actual real thing. And um, like, if, if I had it my way, I would just try to eliminate as many online competitions as possible, turn as many online comps into in-person comps as possible. Um, like that's, that's where I think, you know, I'd love to see things change for everyone. But uh, I am still happy with the quarterfinal performance. Yeah, so happy about it. But I have a question for you about one of the movements um, because since it came up in the games. So prior to the games, had you practiced wall facing handstand pushups before? Had that been a part not, of your training? Not really. No, I mean I might have done a total of twenty wall facing handstand pushups in ten years, maybe okay. thirty. You know, like I do a wall, I, I thought it was like, oh, that could come up, especially once we had wall walks in the open. So, yeah. you know, I would do like a wall walk into five strict wall facing handstand pushups. And I was like, oh, like these are hard. Yeah. Um, and I, but I can do them. And so I was like, okay, check. And I just didn't really like put any effort into, you know, finding the little, the nuances to make that mm -hmm. movement better. It was more like, well, I can do them. I don't know how well I can do them relative to the field because I don't know what anyone else could do with these, but I can do them easy enough. And I was hoping more people, I was, when I did them, I was like, oh, these might be hard from a mobility standpoint. So maybe that'll be my like ace in the hole. Sure enough, it was not. And it <laughs> still is not. Um, you know, I, I, they're harder than a normal or what we would consider a old school handstand pushup. Um, but I think they still more or less reward. You just got to have a really strong press, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so being the, the, you know, analytical person with this in those moments when they announce this new movement before the, the event at the games, are you looking at that and breaking down the movements to see how it's best to perform that? Or are you at that point saying, I'm going to go by feel and just, and trust my instincts? Yeah, it really depends obviously on the movement and how much time we have before the workout starts with that one for sure. Uh, you know, we were, we we're probably accumulating, more reps than usual uh than, way more reps than if it was just a normal strict handstand push-up i would have done like three you know like i'd warm up really good i'd do one flat i'd do two deficit and be like all right here we go mm -hmm. um whereas i probably did closer to i don't even i didn't count but at least 10. um you know because you're also trying to figure out well how low do i need to go because there's no contact point so the, yeah. you know my coach is down there he's filming i'm like was that deep enough he's like, oh, maybe you know so you're trying to like try to find a visual or um sensory kind of point where you're like yes i believe that when i feel this or when my eyes see this i know that i have reached this deficit and then i can continue to push up so that was a lot of it and then you know you're watching everyone else you know men and women trying to do them and you know seeing like oh where should i put my hands and how should my elbows point and should i reach with my my forehead or should i reach with like the top of my head 
So there was a lot of that going on. Um, and all of that worked tremendously. And I won the workout at the games. No, I'm kidding. I came like that. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you know, I just, you know, like those are really hard and uh, yeah, yeah, no, no excuses. They were just like really hard and, you know, I'm going to continue to I'm working on them every day pretty much. But, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not naive to the fact that if we did that workout again this year, I probably still would not win it. I definitely would not win it and that's okay. But yeah. So, uh, Kenneth asks, what was your reaction to the sandbag, your performance in the sandbag event? Yeah, I was, I was excited about it. Obviously there was a little bit of, um, you know, at that point in the weekend, things weren't going like really well on an overall leaderboard standpoint. I was still having fun and doing my best, but, um, I think kind of ironically, like, I think if I was like in the hunt for like a, like a medal position or a top spot, that performance would have been like, yes, like good. We got lots of points, you know, edged out some other guys that, you know, were near the top of the leaderboard, you know, gained, gained ground essentially on other guys. And so that's, what's important. That's awesome. Um, at that point in the weekend, wasn't, as placed as high. And so the fact that I was so close to winning that event and because that event was so iconic and the crowd was so into it and um, I was a little bummed. I was like, oh man, I was so close to winning that workout, like winning a strength workout at the CrossFit Games and kind of realizing like, yeah, that chance might not come along again <laughs> where you're going to have the whole crowd roaring and it's, you know, a, a you know, a strength, a strength workout, one rep max at the CrossFit Games. Everyone was so into it. The intensity in there was crazy. And I was so close to getting that last sandbag and you finish and you just like, Oh my gosh, Brent, like, what have you done? Like, that would have been so epic. That would have been, you know, on the highlight reel of your, you know, competitive CrossFit season or multiple seasons. Like that would be right there on the highlight reel. Um, and missed out on that. I ended up finishing third in that workout. Uh, and I was the closest to getting the final bag at 350. And then all the guys that got 340, there were four of us, we did the tie break and I came third in the tie break. Um, so kind of, kind of a little bit, you know, it's a little, that, that's, I don't, I don't look back on there's very few things I look back on that like keep me up at night or um, I regret. And, but that's probably the biggest one for sure. <laughs> in the last 10 years, it's definitely up there as like, mm -hmm. oh, like you idiot, but yeah. What do you do? When well, Saturday do? night was a mini run for you, you finished second in hat trick and then third in the sandbag. Yeah. Um, but Kenneth follows up with how close were you to passing out during that sandbag? I was getting like, Elise follows up with or pooping. <laughs> no, pooping, not close at all. Uh, I was getting lightheaded kind of in some of the earlier bags. Um, I, I think we did a total of 12 bags maybe. Um, and so it was kind of the first four, there were two there where I was getting really lightheaded and, uh, but I was able to get some, you know, just drink what was left of my, my drink and, uh, just some, you know, carbs and protein. And that seemed to help and just sit down for a bit. And then I was fine, but it was just the first few bags where I was like, Oh man, I'm getting really lightheaded. Not something that's really happened to me before, but. So I want to move into your role in the PFAA and yeah. some things you said on training think tank podcast, which got me really fired up and that oh. is they in, in a good way in a good way yeah, you good. you brought up the the lack of definition um in in movements and i've been pounding a drum forever that 
the open and the different levels of qualification don't have definitions at CrossFit. Like the reason you can attack what the open is, is because CrossFit doesn't tell you what it should be. And so everybody has a different perception over as to what it is to them. And none of us agree. So then we start arguing over why this is bad and why that's bad. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. You know, you know, some people will say, oh, that the first workout of the open this year was, you know, too hard. It wasn't inclusive, like toes to bar are really tough. And then other people are like, well, toes to bar aren't that tough. You know, toes to bar are pretty inclusive, at least compared to a ring muscle up they are. And someone, someone will say, oh, you shouldn't have ring muscle ups in the first week of the open, you know, or you know, whatever, you know, people are just going to have differing opinions. And, and I think what's challenging and this, obviously it's super challenging for CrossFit. Um, I don't envy it. It's like, you know, you're trying to please everyone, right? You're trying to create three workouts that are pleasing, you know, the everyday gym goer who just wants to race, get their name on the leaderboard, have a good time. You're trying to send the right people to quarters. Um, you're trying to, you know, maybe make these levels like a level one through 10 CrossFitter and create workouts that are appropriate for sorting everyone from worst to last. You're trying to, and then, you know, obviously you're trying to sort athletes for quarters or just top 10%. But then you're also trying to find, you know, the top uh, one, two, three, four, five and give prize money to them. So there's like a lot of boxes that they're trying to check, right? So it's super mm-hmm. tough to come up with workouts that are both like uh, suitable to do those things, but also elegant because, you know, you could do, like some really wonky, I mean, they've done stuff like this, not this exactly, but you know, it's like, oh, you have like a three minute window and it's just single unders, 10 pound wall balls and like burpees. And then the next round, all the, you know, every round the skills get harder and harder, but you can't do that for three weeks in a row, right? Like at a certain point you need a workout that's like kind of heavy deadlifts and chest of bars. And there's going to be some people who say, that's too hard. And others that say, well, it's still not heavy enough for the best. So yeah, it's, it's challenging when you're definitely trying to like, basically do please all be all things to all people um, is really not an easy thing to do. And with a lack of definition, you're not, you're, you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall. Yeah, potentially. Right. I, I think with the lack of definition, then you're leaving it up to us to, you know, make our own definition, which can, can work at times, but then it can obviously, you know, be frustrating as well when it's like, well, even even the quarterfinals, for example, like I think the quarterfinal workouts this year, I said to someone like I personally on just like a, my narrow, I enjoyed the workouts. Like it felt like doing like the CrossFit games in a way because it was like these, you know, kind of three new movements like the wall facing handstand push up, the V snap, uh, the crossovers. You're kind of like adapting. There's a little bit of stress there. You're having to like adapt through the workout. Like your crossovers are getting better as you go. Um, you, know, you didn't know how those handstand pushups were going to feel at the end of that workout, all those things. So like, I enjoyed that just like, just the actual act of doing the workouts. But obviously, you know, some of those workouts were very challenging. If, you know, if you were someone in that 5% to 10%, you're like, I'm going to do the quarter workouts for fun. I know I'm not making semis. Those workouts probably weren't appropriate for those people. Um, and I, I, I don't know like what the answer is there, if they should be more skewed to inclusivity of that top 10% or should they be, more appropriate to because i remember a time back in 2013 14 15 when people were complaining about the open saying it's really frustrating to do these open workouts that are just toes to bar burpees and 95 pound thrusters we're getting people going to regionals and they get there and they're not capable of doing 100 pound dumbbell snatches and they're not capable of doing 300 pound deadlifts or 400 pound deadlifts they're not capable of doing three sets of 50 ghds 
And so now we have these workouts that look like regional workouts. So you're getting people to semis, regionals that are definitely capable of those things. Um, but then there's the, now you're seeing like, oh man, these weren't good for the, the top, you know, kind of like people that couldn't make semis, but still wanted to have a hot go. I'm like, well, I remember 10 years ago, people were complaining about the other thing. Um, yeah. and that doesn't, yeah, it's hard. I, I remember, you know, like 2014, like, I, like that was the first open I ever did and there were double unders. And I remember there being new athletes that were feeling like it wasn't accessible to them because they can't do double unders. So they would spend 10 minutes trying to do double unders. But then CrossFit, you know, brought in the, um, Scale. the scaled version, which I thought was a great option for to mm -hmm. be more inclusive to the overall all athletes. But then I've heard people say the scaled is like too easy. Too scaled. I agree. Right. <laughs> like we want to, we want like an in between. You're like, man, you know. So um, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's tough, right? It's, it's yeah. tough, and that, and that's not, you know, that's not talking about, you know, the V up standard or whatever, and that's a different. Yeah. I think I touched on that obviously training think tank, but just kind of cursory glance, you know, it's like, yeah, I think Corey Leonard says the person who tries to please everyone ends up pleasing no one. And I've heard that in like comedy, whereas a comedian, it's better to be loved by a thousand people than liked by 10,000. Um, and it's definitely true uh, in comedy, I think, is if you're a comedian. And I think, yeah, it's, it's tough if you're trying to please, please everyone. It's a, uh, yeah, it's tough. So let's move the definitions to the movement standards. I've also been a proponent as a former judge um, that I would love that at the beginning of the season, CrossFit said, if we're doing a burpee this season, this is the standard from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. Or if we're doing a thruster, you can't rebend the knee from the beginning of the open to the end of the games. You know, and it's I, one I would like that defined too. for this yeah. season. I would, I would really like that. I think it would, I think it would do a lot of, a lot of positive things. Um, you know, it would require like a little more, I think there's like certain situations where I'm trying to think of one. Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but it was something like a burpee where, you know, maybe you design a workout for the CrossFit games and it's on the Coliseum and da da da, And you go, Oh, you know, like that specific burpee standard you know, doesn't work with this workout. And so then, you know, you would have to change the workout to fit the standard. Whereas I think at times, you know, the standard is changed to fit the workout. Um, and so like, in my opinion, I would rather, you know, the standard be the non-negotiable and then the workouts, because, you know, you, when you program a workout for a competition, you can literally do anything at this point, you know, it doesn't have to be 21, 15, nine, it can be 13, 62, five, like, it can be anything, right? It can be any movement. So whenever you make a workout that someone doesn't like something about it, it's like, well, you can just change it, you know? So there's no, you have an unlimited possibility. So yeah, I would agree in my personal opinion um, that, you know, the the movements, you know, wouldn't change for the entire season. Um, I think like maybe a compromise in the middle would be at least having like the, I think I talked about this training thing tank podcast where it was like, you know, for every movement or at least the common movements that or at least the movements we've done, you know, in the last like decade have the, the A standard, you know, or the code yellow standard. And then if there is a reason in a workout to change it, you say, Hey guys, we're not using code yellow. We're actually, we made an orange and this is the exact reason, but as much as possible, you stick to the yellow standard, which is like the, the gold standard, the consistent one. Hey guys, we're doing handstand pushups. Someone raises their hand. Is it the yellow standard? Sure as hell is. All right, great. Moving on. 
And then everyone just knows that it kind of saves time. The judges at that point have been like, oh, I've been to three competitions. We use that standard. Mm. You know, I did it in the open, all these things. I like, I know what to look for. I know the points of performance as opposed to every time you do a, especially with like burpees and handstand pushups or two that definitely seem to change the most. It's like, oh, like now my feet don't have to be wide or oh, they do have to be narrow or they actually have to be touching. And oh, my hands mm. now don't have to be inside a box. They have to be touching a line that's narrow. Oh, and you, now it's the head can touch the floor. No, now it can't. It has to touch the wall. Or, oh, your butt can't touch the wall. Oh, no, your butt can touch the wall, but only at this part of the rep. It's like, oh, man. You know, like, there's a lot of things that keep changing. And, you know, that those are all just for the handstand push-up that keep changing. And so when, yeah. you know, athletes are moving fast, there's money on the line. You know, I think I think it'd be, uh, you know, forget about the athletes. I think it'd just be better for the judges, <laughs> right? I think it would just allow them a amen. to do their jobs and, and feel and feel confident and be proud of the work they're doing. Um, you know, forget about my experience completely, right? Like, I mean, I'm gonna do what you tell me to do. Realistically, like as an athlete, I'm just gonna do what you tell me to do as best as possible, but as fast as possible within what I think you're looking for. Um, but it's, it's almost more about the judge's experience. Like that's kind of my, that's what I think would just make their job easier, which in turn makes my life less stressful, I think. And from a coaching standpoint though, you know, when I'm coaching, I'm trying to coach to the standards of what is out for that year. And when the standards keep changing, you know, it's it's a constant evolution of my coaching, which that's fine. But it's when you're trying to teach athletes mm. these new movements to focus on this standard. Oh, but never mind that standard. That's not real anymore. We're going to do this standard. It's just. Yeah, it's tough. I think, you know, I guess my suggestion, if you know, like to the to the athletes, the coaches, if you're listening to this right now, um, you know, definitely first would be you know try to research and like i just have a good memory for this stuff and so i kind of know the iterations we've seen of let's say a handstand push-up over the years and so you know what, for example like hand placement where do i place my hands in a handstand push-up so when i'm training i vary my hand placement quite a bit right um it seems like over the years they just keep going narrower and closer to the wall so when in doubt just keep getting yourself to basically this where you're you know just like here and you don't have room for your head um but you know change up your hand placement sometimes go really really wide sometimes go really narrow sometimes go way off the wall sometimes go really close to the ball um and you know when in doubt try to perform like you know feet together core really tight you know reaching up tall like you had doing the open with the line with the tape line on the wall um but yeah definitely like creating some variance around what the standards are so know what the standards are do your training to those standards, let's say the last, you know, the most common variations of that standard in the last few years, but then vary it around those a little bit where you're like, you know, okay, I'm going to move my hands in a little closer. Or like, oh, you know, I'm going to say nothing can touch the wall. I'm going to say everything can touch the wall. I'm going to say, you know, it kind of like change those things up, especially mm -hmm. if you're doing, you know, a, a workout with three rounds of 20 strict handstand pushups. Like maybe the first set of 20, you do this way. The second set you do, I do this all the time. The second set, you're putting your hands here. The third set, you're putting your hands here. And the rule is you can't, uh, I don't know, whatever. Just like trying to trying to think of something because that, that seems to be the, the flavor of, of where we're heading, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, like constantly kind of throwing in little, little wrenches in the mix, like even lunges. It's like, oh, is it lunges for distance or is it lunges for steps? So, you know, like practice both. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So what I want to finish up with is in this line, because we're coming up on the hour and I want to respect your time is yeah. um, th there's a, a thought that's come up on our show about, and again, I, I was a regionals judge. I've, ju I've judged it rogue. 
I've done the the big competitions. There are a lot, there's a community of judges out there that are very, very good and want to do the best job possible. How about we certify these judges? We allow them to be hired by whomever to come in during quarterfinals um, to judge you personally. So you get immediate feedback on your online competition and that then you don't have to do the video submission. Right. Because they are certified by CrossFit. You are getting a, a, a certified judge who is checking your measurements, checking the tape lines, all of that stuff. You don't have to submit the video. And then, um, and then they get paid a small stipend to come do that. And it's supporting the ecosystem around CrossFit. Yeah. I mean, I think like the first thing there that would need to happen would be, you know, a, a proper like certification system. And that's a business, right? Like that has to be run like a business. It can't be volunteers. So it's like someone needs to create, whether it maybe CrossFit does that. And there's, you know, a new set of certification systems for judging where there's in-person, there's reviews, you know, let's say I go to, uh, you know, let's say at Wadapalooza, there's like, oh, there's these head judges, you're a level one, two, three, four, five judge. And after the competition, you know, the athletes are, each workout, maybe they're saying, how good was your judge? How could you hear them? All those sorts of things, they're getting ranked and then they have the opportunity to climb the ladder. And when they become a four to a five, they get paid more. And if they're a four and they're just doing a horrendous job consistently, all of a sudden they're a three and then they're a two. Um, and they have to do upgrading to get back and they're you know actually getting reviewed. And that's like, that's work, right? It's like, that's creating an entire company of, of uh, you know, a judging company, a judging certification system. It's not something that, I have enough knowledge or experience in to spearhead. Um, I would support it in any way that I could, uh, but it's like, that's a huge undertaking. And so that would be the first thing. It's not something, it's easy to just, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, um, I'm not being, it's easy to say it. And like, I would want it too, but it's a lot of work and someone needs to want to do it. Someone needs to have the entrepreneurial spirit to really like push that forward. And then of course you need the, the buy-in from the big events, from, Rogue, Guadalajara, Madrid, you know, obviously the semis, the quarters, the games to like buy into that. As far as using those judges for quarterfinals, theoretically, sure. I still think that they're probably, you know, I think there's still the opportunity for like, uh, you know, collusion or, um, you know, uh, little sneaky things going on there. So I still think a video would be necessary, but it's, I think, let me put it to you this way. If you had one of those judges that was like level three, super legit, integrity, all that stuff, experience, and so if I was willing to pay them to come to my gym and judge me, they were certified, I would still submit the video, but I would be held, again, this, I'm not, I haven't thought about this a lot, but I think I would just be held to a different level of video scrutiny than an athlete without one of those judges. So I think, you know, they could still count my reps, right? It's like, cause the judge might just say, oh yeah, that was 21. It's like, oh, I was 19, they just lost count. So there's still have to be a penalty for that. But as far as like, oh, this video is kind of, Oh, it doesn't look like Brent's hitting full extension. We're going to ding him. It's like, no, like the judge was there. The call was made. This is a good judge. If he thinks Brent hit full extension on those front squats, he hit full extension. We're not going to question that. Or if he saw him touch the, you know, the top of the rope and like, we can't see it. It's like, oh, maybe it's like, no, no, you're going to chuck. You're going to trust that judge. Whereas if you don't have that judge, you know, you're, you're going to get dinged for it. Um, so I think, I think a video would still be necessary, just kind of, but it, you'd be held to a much, theoretically, again, like, you know, there, I, I don't have like a really strong opinion on this, but maybe you'd just be held to a, 
um, less scrutiny on the video review, be much more cursory glance, like, hey, did they do the movements? Did they do the reps? You know, as opposed to like freeze frame. No, I think his pinky It's like, no, no, no. The judge was there. We're going with the judge. Um, they paid them. We know the judge is legit. It's an option. Um, but yeah, the, the actual creation of that certification, like, and I know there's good judges out there that are passionate and they love what they do. And, you know, they travel around, they go to Wadapalooza, they go to the big events, they go to Granite Games. Um, you know, but it's like the organization. I mean, I'm trying my best to do it with the PFA. It's a lot of work. Um, it's not going nearly as fast as I'd like. And part of that is, you know, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, but it would need to be run. You know, I can say this for sure. It would need to be run like a business. There would need to be money coming in to start it like a startup, like funding of some sort, whether that's a crowdfunding or companies funding it. And it's like, okay, now we have a couple thousand dollars in the bank. This is our business plan. Let's party. Um, that's the only way it would work. It, you know, it needs to be highly organized and people that are working, you know, multiple hours a week on it year round. A lot of work. Yeah. 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 I think what what's what's tough is in the in the open division, they can always say, well, you know, Tia still won, so <laughs> we did what was right, right? And that's that's yeah. their what they lean into. But you look at like the age groups and how much online competition they're forced to do in comparison to the open division and how that would legitimize that a little bit more and make that more relevant, um, which would then again, in turn grow the ecosystem all around CrossFit and not just what we see in the top 40. Yeah. I mean, you know, masters and teenagers and so forth. Yeah. They have to compete online a lot. I think the, you know, the argument of, well, you know, TIA one, it's a great test. It's kind of like if you're a, you know, they, we use the word test. So it's like, it'd be the same as saying like, oh, you know, I'm a great teacher. My, t my test in, you know, grade 12 science was great because the smartest person here got the highest grade moving on. It's like, well, you know, you could, if the smartest person's the smartest person. So they probably would have passed the test, even if you accidentally tested them in, you know, biology and this is chemistry, <laughs> you know, they're just, they're the smartest person in the class. Um, but yeah, I, I think like, like I said, moving, moving away from any and all online competitions to something that more and more closely resembles in-person competitions is great. I think for the masters, because historically and teenagers, most of them are in North America. Um, I don't think it's out of the question, you know, for games qualification where maybe you do like, you know, an in-person competition in the States, like let's call it semifinals where the, the podium makes it to the games or something like that, whoever can make it, or even the top two, and then the remaining eight, um, you know, make it via the online qualifier. Like, you know, you could easily do that through like the Masters Fitness Collective, kind of have like a, kind of call it the wild card or whatever you want to call it. Cause I think a lot of them would love that, you know, sent the, the first place person from Wadapalooza, the first place person from Masters Fitness Collective, and then eight more, um, you know, cause it's just, and then at least you're, there's like a lot more riding on that event and you're instead of just 10 people getting a competition that has like let's call it meaning you're getting maybe 40 to 60 that are going to like an event where it's like oh man there's something really riding on this and this is like you know real feather in my hat just making it here to this event because someone here is going to be a games athlete by the end of the weekend that's pretty cool um so yeah any and all and it's the same with quarters right i don't think it's unrealistic that you know, especially with the way that like Mayhem did it this year, Invictus, Training Think Tank, Proven, where they did their quarterfinals at their gym. And there's like a lot of people, right? It's like pretty much competition at that point. You have 30 yeah. to 50 people doing these workouts. You know, it's not out of the question where it's like, oh, actually, you know, like, yeah, they're doing the workouts. But also if you finish top three, 
you know, you just, you make it to semis. And so all of a sudden it's like, not only are you just racing the leaderboard, it's like we're kind of racing each other in there. And then it's like, oh, maybe I'll go down to, you know, one of those places for quarters, try yeah. to just win. And then, you know, it's like kind of something There's just like more to it than just, oh, here I am like racing my clock again, you know, and hope that's enough. It's like, no, if I'm there and I'm watching everyone, I believe that I can come out on top. And then that's like, like cementing the position as opposed to like finishing these workouts thinking like, man, I think I did pretty well. And then you're like, ah, oh, you're 61st. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So lots of options. Well, and, and I keep saying the word ecosystem, but that's another way to get more money into the overall ecosystem because mayhem could charge tickets to come in and watch yeah. that event. And people yeah. would pay to come in and do yeah. that. And then it, it grows the entire ecosystem. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of people that are, um, either like really passionate or semi-passionate about, you know, CrossFit, uh, watching CrossFit and, you know, it's like, how do we, how do we get money out of those people? <laughs> not that that's more like the main goal, but, uh, you know, it's not impossible that some of those people might be interested in, you know, doing more than just spending $20 in the open and then watching the free live streams, semis in the games, right. For, there's probably a lot yeah. of CrossFitters that, and, you know, they're going to buy shoes and they're, you know, they're going to purchase products that are related to their own training or, um, you know, something that athletes are maybe promoting on their Instagram. That's just like a an enjoyable product. But yeah, as far as like actually contributing to the live, like competition side of the sport, uh, you know, you look at a lot of, I mean, what's interesting is in something like basketball, all of those players make more from their salary than all their endorsements combined outside of maybe like Steph Curry, LeBron. Right. Um, whereas someone like Chris Bumstead, who's a power, or geez, bodybuilder, um, he's making way more from his, uh, sponsors than he is from competing. Like it's just astronomically different. And I think a lot of CrossFitters at the, you know, the elite CrossFitters like myself are making as much or more, at least much more consistently off of, you know, sponsors than prize money. And I think because the, the actual viewing experience, like there's, there is the interest, like there is money moving around, especially in like the brands that want to be, you know, even C4 energy, they want to be involved and, um, get their products out in front of athletes. But like the actual live viewing experience of CrossFit and the consistent opportunity to view those both live in person um, and online is like very limited. You know, it's not happening that much. And so, um, you know, the more of those that we can create, like, I think that's where the magic is. It's not like more online. I don't think more online competitions or better online competitions is good, but less of them and more in person is always going to be better for everyone, I think. As always, the more you say, the more I want to talk, um, but I'm going to be respectful of your time. And so um, with that, thank you so much for jumping on with us, Brent and everybody yeah. in the audience. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a, a great hour and thank you for taking the time out, Brent. Yeah. And we will see everybody. Every, we'll see everybody next time on the Clydesdale media podcast. <laughs>